Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. My daughter gets her second COVID jab tomorrow. I'm counting down the days until she can be considered fully vaccinated. It's not just about her. It's about all the people she comes in contact with, including her grandparents. So wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this, I hope that you are well too. Today, we have a Stoics take on a myth that you should be familiar with from both my episodes on Sophocles and from one Sigmund Freud and from Tom Lehrer and PDQ Bach or at least one of these sources. Yes, we are talking about that famous boy who loved his mother, Oedipus or Oedipus. I say Oedipus. I know other people say Oedipus. Anyway, since this is Roman tragedy, we are talking, of course, about Seneca's version of the story. This version was written sometime around 55 CE, and as discussed in previous episodes, we don't really know exactly when Seneca wrote his tragedies, so this is a best guess. This version is called simply Oedipus. No Rex, no Tyrannos, no the king, just his name, Oedipus. Uh, the cast should sound pretty familiar by now. We have Oedipus, Jocasta, Creon, and Tiresias, of course. One change we'll see is the addition of Manto, Tiresias's daughter and girl Friday. Forbus is the name of the shepherd who rescued the baby Oedipus. And then we have the usual unnamed messenger types. And of course, the chorus of old Theban men. Although, depending on how a director chooses to set the play, there's no reason the chorus couldn't consist of more than just men. Anyway, the play is set in Thebes, which should be familiar from all of the previous plays we have read about one aspect or another of the Oedipus myth. We'll see that Seneca largely uses Sophocles as his source material. As for me, I'm working from the Emily Wilson translation from 2010. You can easily find earlier translations for free online, including Ella Isabel Harris, the other translator that I'm using for this Roman tragedy course. So with that, let's take a short break before covering Seneca's take on this well-known story. The play opens with our titular, um, hero? Oedipus enters and soliloquizes about how awful things are in Thebes right now. There's this plague, and he kind of wishes that he could still be home, but that prophecy said that he was going to kill his father and marry his mother, and he couldn't imagine doing such a thing to Polybus, so he fled, but... But with how things are going in Thebes, maybe he'd be better off with that prophecy. Shh, don't tell him. He'll figure it out eventually. Jocasta enters and begs her husband to stop whinging because it's not going to fix anything in the first place. And running home to Polybus isn't going to fix things either, so suck it up. Which he does because he's Oedipus and he's not a coward. He doesn't run from a challenge. Did he run from the Sphinx and her riddles? No, 
Did he run from that man who blocked his path at the crossroads? No. Did he run from the prophecy? Well, let's not get into that now. Is he going to run from this plague? Of course not. The chorus sings a lament for the line of Cadmus. It includes great detail about the ongoing plague. Most cheery. Creon enters. He's been to Delphi and has news from the oracle. The people of Thebes are to avenge the murder of Laius, the former king. No problem! Oedipus is happy to agree. Except, I mean, well, who is the murderer? Obviously, the best person to ask is Tiresias, the blind seer. He'll understand what the oracle said and be able to provide counsel. Tiresias enters, led by his daughter Manto. They opt for the Rashomon approach and summon the ghost of Laius to answer their questions. Oedipus sends Creon off with them to do whatever rituals need doing off stage, which, well, it allows for very gory monologues, I guess is really the purpose. Per Tiresias' orders, the chorus sings a hymn to Bacchus while they wait for Creon to report back. The song gets dark pretty quickly. Do you remember Euripides the Bacchae? Yeah, think that. Creon returns. It takes a little bit of arm twisting, but he ultimately reveals that the ghost of Laius has accused Oedipus of the murder. Worse than that, he's accused Oedipus of killing his father and marrying his mother. But this can't possibly be. Oedipus most definitely has not killed Polybus, nor has he married Merope. Creon says that Oedipus should still exile himself because that's what a good leader would do. Oedipus responds by having Creon arrested. The chorus tuts and sings a song about the curse on the house of, of Cadmus. And then Oedipus starts thinking, which is a dangerous pastime. We all know that. There was that guy that he killed after a game of chicken. Could that have been Laius? He starts asking Jocasta for details about the death of her first husband and just about him in general. You know, what did he look like? How old was he when he died? Things like that. And that's when a messenger arrives from Corinth with news that Polybus is dead and the throne belongs to Oedipus, who should return home and become king of Corinth. Oedipus takes this news with only a modicum of relief, because sure, he might not be responsible for the death of his father, but his mother is still alive, and if he goes back, he might still find himself married to her, which is most abhorrent. The messenger laughs at that thought. I mean, Merope isn't Oedipus's mother? I mean, not his biological one, anyway. This is news to Oedipus. The messenger explains that he's the very person who gave Merope and Polybus the foundling to raise as their own. He got the baby from a shepherd. Forbus, said shepherd, is called for and enters. He confirms the messenger's story, adding the missing detail of just who Oedipus's biological parents are. Oedipus weeps and wails and exits. The chorus shakes their heads. A different messenger enters with news of everything that has happened off stage. Oedipus thought about killing himself, but decided that a more proper punishment is to live with what he has done, so he gouged out his eyes instead. It's graphic. You can read it for yourself. Oedipus enters. Jocasta tries to come to terms with her role in this whole matter. She grabs Oedipus' sword, the same one that killed Laius, and stabs herself. 
The chorus informs the audience that it is a fatal blow. Oedipus announces that he will go into exile, taking the plague with him, and the play ends. This is not Sophocles' Oedipus. Seneca doesn't shy away from describing the blood and the gore. The character is also different. He's not as noble as what we see in Sophocles. And we also see differences in the story itself. Seneca has changed the order of those ultimate fates. Sophocles has Jocasta's suicide take place before Oedipus gouges out his eyes. He even uses, you know, the brooches, the pins on her brooches to, to perform that act in Sophocles' play. Seneca, on the other hand, has Jocasta's suicide be precipitated in part by Oedipus's self-mutilation. Now, this is not totally unprecedented, um, in Euripides's Phoenician Women, for example, we do see a version in which Jocasta is still alive long after Oedipus's exile. She doesn't die until her sons kill each other. So it's there are different mythology, gotta love it. There are different versions. It all depends on who's telling you read as to when exactly everybody in the story meets their ultimate fate. Anyway. What does Seneca's Oedipus specifically have to say to us today? The big theme within the play, and I suppose the larger myth, is that of power and who really holds power. How much power do those in charge even have? Oedipus may be king, but he is still powerless when it comes to his fate. By the time the play starts, even as Oedipus is thinking maybe he should just return to Corinth, where he believes his biological parents live, his fate is already sealed. He has already fulfilled the prophecy, even though he isn't aware of it. Is this the best of Seneca's tragedies? Maybe. Maybe not. The reviews are mixed. So what do you think? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. You can find me on Patreon, and that link is in the show notes too. In the next episode, we'll cover book six of the Aeneid. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.